Stu here. I'm very proud to announce that Spoilers, my award-winning climate change comedy show, is returning to the Edinburgh Festival on the 12th, 13th and 14th of August. You can get your tickets at stuartgoldsmith.com on the little orange banner, or you can just go to edfringe.com and search my name. I mean, that's what I'd do. Whether you're a die-hard, north-face-wearing climate dude, or whether you are just a regular person who's a little bit nervous about all the news you're seeing and doesn't really know what to think, there's something there for you. It's really fun and funny, and I think you're going to love it. See you there. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello there and welcome to the show. This is another new episode, a fresh interview, someone who's never been on the show before. Uh, it's the wonderful, well, the honourable Tom Horton. Uh, and we are going to get into loads of stuff, not least uh, the fact that for a long time he lived in the Tower of London because he is quite literally the honourable Tom Horton in a way that, um, I mean, even English people find hard to believe, let alone people further afield than here. It must be quite peculiar. Um, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about his title uh, and we're going to talk about his life. We're going to talk about his his really ballistic comedy style. He is a really roof raising comic, um, and he's also quite the influencer. Not only does he have a huge amount of followers across your various social platforms, particularly TikTok, as we'll discuss in some length, um, but he is also uh, he was until recently uh, on a Netflix influencer slash reality show. That's what I've written. That sort of say, sounds vaguely right. Called the Circle, and we're going to talk at some length about his um uh, about his involvement with that show and how he stopped from going mad and whether that worked we'll also talk about his background in improv uh with the really fun improv group the noise next door um and we're going to uncover in true comcom style his lifelong quest to master sincerity in his work now it we, this is a big long one and i i wish as i often do as i was looking down the uh, the log of this episode kindly done by chief logger moz uh, lots of love to moz um, I was uh, looking down the log and thinking, I just want to put it all in the main app, but we talked for so long I could not. So there are at least 25 minutes of extras available to you if you are a member of the Insiders Club. And if you're not, you can join up now at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to get ad-free episodes, extra content from every show that has it, and much more. Some special exclusive Q&As with Nish Kumar, Alfie Brown, James Acaster and Fern Brady and all that kind of stuff. Um, in the extras of this episode, we'll be exploring the relationship between Tom's posh guy positioning and his most authentic comedy self, uh, how he was called out by some very non-toxic male friends on his more obnoxious behaviour and uh, we will also get some some further and some very excellent tips on social media mindset and the work ethic therein. Loads of great stuff here, really a pleasure to have Tom on the show. Here is the Honourable Tom. So, welcome Tom Horton to the podcast. It's lovely to have you on, finally. 
Um, you have got a huge amount of stuff. I've got, I often write kind of notes for questions, but with you, I've just got subject headings because there's just so many things that we can talk about. Oh, thank um, you. Before we get into them, the sort of, sh should I try and loosely sketch where I think you are as a comic or would you like to? Uh, just so I, we set you up for people who might not know. I'm going to be honest to you. I want to see what you think of me. I, I want to hear what your opinion is. Of course where, you do. And, as soon as I you said that, I, I was like, who could turn that down? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I think you're a big loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's nailed um, me. He's nailed me in one. <laughs> so we first met when you were in uh, sketch uh, improv outfit, The Noise Next Door. Indeed, yes. And you bravely left The Noise Next Door and struck out on your own as a stand-up. I did, we'll indeed, get into yeah. that, perhaps. Um, but you still retain uh, what I think of as the the key USB of the noise next door, which is you're all massive board game nerds. So we'll maybe talk about that as well. <laughs> uh, I am absolutely a board game nerd. Yep. <laughs> um, you then, having struck out um, bravely on your own, you um, you sort of knew comedy from you knew loads of comics. So you weren't like a new stand up for very long. You knew loads of people. You threw yourself into it. Of course, you've got an improv background. So your crowd works fantastic. You riff and all the rest of it. But you also lent into writing proper jokes. You then <laughs> leveraged the fact that you are incredibly fucking posh. And rather than run away from it, you have lent into it yes. to the extent that you have enjoyed a, a kind of I won't say late, but a more recent social media bloom, uh, whereby uh, over the course of the pandemic, you were in where you live, which is the Tower of, or which is or was the I've Tower actually, of London. I've, mo I've moved out now. The, the dream's over. I now live in oh. the less fancy Borough Market, but still not bad. I was really, I was really hoping you'd say I now live in Tower Bridge. Tower, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I live in Campton um, Court. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. So you did that and then you, a uh, great big uh, social media explosion, you now have like mm -hmm. 300,000 followers on TikTok and you have really applied yourself to TikTok and Reels and those kind of things. We'll get into all of that. Yes. But the point at which I would like to start, uh, is, and obviously tour, stand up, comedy circuit, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, the point at which I would like to start is hashtag Toodle Pip. Oh, God. So you've watched The Circle, have you? <laughs> no. I, I watched, just, I I watched as little of it as I possibly could. I was going to say, that I, is not the show for you, Stu. That is not the show for it's anyone. It's not aimed at me. I, it's not aimed at me. And <laughs> I can watch not. stuff like that. I can skim through that on Netflix, blissfully think this is mercifully not aimed at me. Yes. Is it aimed at you? Are you the sort of person it's aimed at? Tell uh, us about your experience there. Uh I certainly think it's aimed at people like me's girlfriends and people like me sitting <laughs> sitting next to them on the couch and go, yeah, no, he, he maybe he is a catfish. Yeah, no, sure. Oh, yeah, no. Talisa was conniving, wasn't she? It was um, it was quite. A Describe the premise for us, please. So I've got this into a pretty good soundbite now because Netflix have media oh, yeah, trained me. But basically, The Circle nice. is a reality TV show where um, a variety of strangers are handpicked and stuck into separate hotel rooms and isolated from each other, so they never get to meet each other. The only way they can interact is through a bespoke social media site called The Circle, which is essentially like <laughs> a Facebook. And it's a popularity did we have Did we have it in the UK? Am I being an idiot here? It's an American show, but there was a UK version, was there? So it was originally a Channel 4 version, and it was filmed in England. Um, okay. And then I was actually... That was the show I thought was going to be on, the, the Channel 4 one. And I think a bunch of other com comics um, might have been as well. And then suddenly, I think I saw a comic post going, oh, they've cancelled The Circle on Channel 4. That's a shame. I was in the running to be on that. And I was like, that's interesting. I haven't heard from it. 
And then I got a phone call going, would you like to be in the Netflix version? And I went, that is better. Yes, I would like that very much, please. Yes. But then I thought, oh my God, it's the American version. I'm going to go to LA. This is incredible over there. But it turns <laughs> out it's more, it's cheaper for them to keep the same hotel and fly the contestants over rather than build a new hotel. So it, uh. it, I, so I went to Salford. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say it was cheaper simply to be in everyone's local hotel and it all takes place online. Oh, yeah. Well, you do meet each other sort of when you get uh, blocked um, and everything. And but so the twist of the show is that um, as you're interacting over this bespoke um, social media site, it's a popularity contest. So you vote each other, you rank each other internally and whoever the top people are become influencers and then are able to block anyone from below and gradually one after the other you get picked up until the final person wins a hundred thousand pounds the twist is the twist is is that you don't have to play yourself on the social media site you can be a catfish you can lie so for example my my whole storyline is i'm my biggest ally is a 51 year old cougar from georgia who i was sourcing up the entire series (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> until at the end it turns out it was two 25 year olds playing a 51 year old woman and i got com- I, I got completely um just okay. dragged along completely fooled okay how and and your your time in that show is now concluded i filmed it over over a year ago jesus but yeah. it's just come out and you've just been booted uh, it, it's just it, it's just been released on Netflix. They filmed seasons yes, gotcha. four and four and five back to back, but then okay. mine was meant to be season four, but they swapped mine with season five because two of the Spice okay. Girls were in se- the other season, and they contractually said we want our season out first, and so <laughs> they're the Spice Girls, <laughs> and uh, sure. and they went sure, uh, so they they okay. went went first. But actually, it's better for me because. Um, Firstly, it's January, so it's a time where rather than the summer, people watch more TV and binge now more. And also my tour starts now, so Mm -hmm. that's beneficial. Also, it gave me enough time to now write bits of The Circle into my upcoming tour. So now I can go, did you like me on The Circle? Come and hear me talk about it on my tour. So it's actually worked out very well for me. So am I right in thinking, like, I mean, I, the uh, the listener will not hear this, but I had my face in my hands for a lot of that. There's specifically, <laughs> I think when you mentioned the social voting and the, you know, all the rest of it, it is my idea of hell. Yeah. Um, how did you approach it? Do you, is it, okay, here's the question. Going into it, my assumption would be that you, a smart cookie with uh you know things to promote like you're not a you're not a sort of nebulous influencer you're not even a sort of i mean you are a tiktoker but you're a comic first and foremost Mm -hmm. and so tiktok is sort of i think a lot of us regarded as a necessary evil maybe it's regarded as a necessary evil by those of us who are less (laughs) kind of influential on it because of that thing i want to talk about that i would regard doing a show like that as an absolute deal with the devil and I wonder whether you, how did you apprehend it in those ways? Because obviously you've got you've got units to shift, right? You've got to sell <clears> tour <throat> tickets, you've got to get out there. And yeah. I guess to my mind, it is a similar sort of deal with the devil to generating loads and loads of material on TikTok. You said yourself as we were setting up the mics for, for this recording, God, this is the job of a comedian now is to know the difference between Logic Pro and Audacity and really QuickTime. Is, yeah. and which, you know. So so talk to me about the deal with the devil. My, my word's not yours as it <laughs> as it um, 
uh, as it references the circle. Yeah, no. Well, I think a deal with the devil is sort of accurate in, in many ways. I think it's the, the one of the problems at the moment that I think lots of young comedians starting out have is it's a very oversaturated game now. It's so many people vying for your spot, uh, uh, for your chance. So exposure is one of the biggest things. So personally, I sort of felt, look, you've been given this chance and you're only going to get so many chances, Tom. Um, you've, got, you've got to go with this. And I think there was a stage... Uh, maybe even just 10 years ago, where I think reality TV shows would have looked at by comedians going, you wouldn't do that if you're a real comic. No real comic. Yeah, would that, that. That, that's when I did one back yeah, then. Yeah, that's right. how I felt about it. <laughs> oh, did you, so you think the funny? Show me the funny. Uh, I did show me the funny. Show yes. me the funny, yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now we've got Sean Walsh eating slugs in the in the, in the jungle, and we've got sure. uh, you know, all sorts of people doing whatever. Um, I think nowadays... I think the um, the view I believe has shifted uh, as far as comedians going on these types of shows. I don't yeah. think it's as I, I think people understand now that you have to play the game and it, there's only so many ways you can you, you can shine. So I I was worried about it. I I think the circle is a type of show that it's a fun game rather than something like Love Island, which is like. I don't. For me, there was a difference there because I felt like something like Love Island, where you're sort of relationships and you're trying to sort of artificially pretend you've got emotions towards people. Uh, mm. There's something a bit grim about that. Um, whereas, having said that, I have been on first dates. But <laughs> oh, you have! I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a reality TV star first now, and then a a, a tech expert second, and then a comedian comes about seventh, seventh I think. But the circle to me was like a giant board game in a way, playing with your mates, because it's such a ridiculous concept and it's fun. So okay, and I, I have to I have to share with you when you said that I thought nice angle. That's a good way to convince yourself it's the right thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like hey. board games. This is like a big board game, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, I, and you should see me repeating that to myself in front of the mirror before uh, throughout the audition process. No, it's fine. I'm going to roll a D20. <laughs> if I get a critical one, I'll come on the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also things. So I, I knew it was a good one to, uh, that I, I could show my potential of being a comedian on. Um, one thing about, I think, reality TV is a lot of reality TV players, people who go on it, are people who don't necessarily have anything to then sell at the end of it. They just need to then do yeah. like um, boohoo contracts or uh, you know, uh, perfume stuff. <laughs> boohoo is a is a clothing brand, I believe. Yes. Yes, fine. I, I'm just going <laughs> to underline that for people like me who aren't entirely sure, sure. of the brand boohoo. And actually, it sounds like an industry term. For, I don't know what it would be like. Oh, I've had to sign that. It's like the opposite of the rich and famous contract that Kermit yes. signs. Oh, this is the boohoo contract. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Whereas, whereas one thing about being a comedian is once you've done it, you've got come and see me on tour. You've got a literal thing you can yeah. then sell. So it actually is beneficial. Um, and so I was very adamant that I was going to play myself on there rather than a, uh, a catfish or pretend to be anyone else. Yes. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I could have been someone else, and I was very much like, no, I'm going on as definitely me. The only difference I, the only lie I made is I, at the time, I was in a relationship, and so I pretended to be single. Because at the time, uh, The Crown was on Netflix, and Harry and Meghan okay. had just gone off to America, and I was 
the Honourable Tom Horton living in the Tower of London, a historical palace. So I was like, in my profile, I was like, English chap looking for his Meghan Markle. And I thought that would be a good way to ingratiate myself with the US and indeed the other players. But you know, okay. it turned out on the show, actually, the other contestants, all the American contestants, when I said live in the Tower of London, none of them knew what the Tower of London was. <laughs> and the you way- sat thinking, are they going to buy this? Yeah, and yeah. they're like, no, that's just what they think London is, is a yeah. tower. They went, one of them went, is that, is that where the waxworks are? <laughs> oh, God. <Yeah. laughs> no. Um, okay, so but- did, you, did you go stir crazy cooped up in a hotel room on your own? Was it that sort of a thing? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I had to have two weeks before I went on it was a chaperone in um, in Salford with only like one hour outside allowed. No, my phone wasn't allowed. Uh, and then when you go in, you are then 24 hour surveillance. You're in a hotel room, essentially. Um, yeah. They are mic you up the entire time. You aren't allowed any mu- uh, music. You're not allowed any TV. Uh, you aren't allowed to watch or to know what the time is. So one of the things they do, and I was in there for the, in- spoiler alert, um, one thing is that the welfare team do is um, uh, as soon as you come out of the circle, the first question they, they go, here's a little game we always play, but what day do you think it is? And what time do you think okay. it is? And there are contestants oh, who God. have been out by like by dates. Like, I've got no idea what day it is. I think it's about, oh about uh, 11 in the evening. And they're like, it's five in the morning and it's two days yeah. more than it. So you really what do get... What did you do for all that time? Uh, so you allowed books, okay. and I, I went. I remember them. Yeah, I, I went. I'm going to read some classics because I, I'm going I'm to really catch up on my the gaps in my knowledge. I read 1984. Terrible decision for a book to be under yeah. 24 hours. Really bad. I thought, oh, this would be really on brand with the whole thing. I know it sent me. The welfare crazy. person really should have highlighted that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really should. Um, they then allowed me a guitar, which was nice, because then I then started making up improv songs about the cast members and stuff, which was which shows some more time. I also was allowed to draw, so I caricatured all of the other contestants as well and stuck them on my wall. Okay. So okay. I was, you know, in my desperate attempt to to seem multi-talented, I was like, look at all the skills I've got, Netflix. <laughs> hey. um, and then they give you other stuff like jigsaw puzzles and things you can do, and a lot, you know, when you are sort of a bit like lockdown actually and it just came after lockdown do you know how like in lockdown suddenly i was making meals with like 17 ingredients and really stretching stretching out the cooking like you don't want a quick pizza make that stuff last really really yeah okay yeah 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 so you learn to stretch time okay god and do you how do you feel now now that you are out of it did it work do you have you got any data on whether or not like other than it was a good time it was fun have you got any and I say data I sort of mean it as a as a metaphor but really I mean actual data thinking about it because uh, we now have insights on reels and TikTok yes. have you suddenly got a much bigger following in the states and that kind of thing what, uh, what have you seen that's concrete well so uh, I think my it's, it's only been out for a couple of weeks and also it it gets released in four week four episode chunks and most most i've been told most people wait until the entire series is released and then binge it all rather than do it okay incrementally but uh yeah my instagram went up fifteen thousand followers okay which is a lot okay um i've sold enough tickets i've added 22 extra dates to my tour so <laughs> without there being, we go without we're still trying to stay humble it has definitely made a difference yeah that's I mean, fantastic. one of the things that I will say is it'll be interesting because and 
I won't name any other names, but chatting to a comedian who had a similar social media boost. And then okay. the people, the, the type of audience members that brings to your show. Because they're yes, not necessarily audience members who have a great attention span. They're not necessarily very the, theatrically literate. They, they, they just, they, they've never been to a comedy club or even the theatre before. They've just gone, oh, that guy that I've seen off that thing that I like. Or, or girl. Oh my God. And so he said that a lot of the time he'd do his show and actually there'd be big pockets of the audience who were just sort of like watching, not really laughing. And then afterwards they'd be like, it was the best thing I've ever seen. Can I have a selfie? And he realised that actually yeah. they were going not to watch the show, but just to say that they'd been there. Because they're doing it for of their own. Course. They're doing it for their own social media. Oh God, that's dystopian, isn't it? Yes, it's it's quite alarming. I mean, I do. I think I've. You've just reminded me. I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but someone had said they had, they'd really blown up on TikTok, but the TikTok audience skews so young that the fans don't have any money. And they can't, uh, <laughs> they can't, that you think, oh, I've got X thousand fans now across yeah. this particular platform. But what you've Absolutely. got is X thousand 13 and 14 year olds yeah. who can't engage with a lot of the things that you'd like to sell to yes, them. Yes, no, you've got, a, you've got a, a fan base of Chinese bots and, and infants. Yeah. <laughs> so this is Tom, a joy to talk to him. Very, very, I mean, he's uh, very candid, which we always love here. Um, and also uh, one of the things I think about Tom is he is someone who really willingly submitted to the process. Do you know what I mean? He's very, uh, I mean, this is by no means one of the most painful processes to which he has ever submitted himself. Bless his heart. It's heartbreaking stuff about boarding school. My God. Um, but uh, he was really kind of willing to like, OK, come on, goldsmith me in, in a way that I really found uh, uh, very fun and engaging and charming. And I'm sure that you are, too. So we'll get back to this very soon. Remember, loads more stuff about positioning, authenticity, some obnoxious behaviour and how it got called out. Uh, and also some tips on social media mindset and work ethic, all available on the Insiders feed. Go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to support the show for just £2 a month or more and access all that stuff. Uh, you can catch Tom, by the way, on his sellout tour. He's currently, I'm pleased to say, I, this was recorded a few weeks ago now, but it is going great guns uh, and he's adding extra dates as we speak. He started doing that thing, which all the clever kids are doing, which is to uh, very artfully and deftly put sold out signs as if they've been pasted on top of your social media assets, uh, such to emphasise how sold out the tour is. But there's extra dates added. You can go to honourabletom.com slash pages slash tour, or just go to honourabletom.com and have a mosey around there. If you'd like to follow Tom on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok, I mean, you basically can't on TikTok because he's got so many followers, there may not be room for more. But go to at Honourable Tom. And I do wonder now how many Americans he loses who try to follow Honourable Tom, but insist on skipping the U that that word must always contain. Um, so you can find out more about Tom via all those things. My stand-up special, I Need You Alive, is currently now available on video on demand and indeed audio on demand. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com, follow the little exciting clicky advert there, and there's a little yellow spinning advert at the top of the page on any page that I put it there myself. God, I love knowing how to work my own website. Um, and that will take you to a sort of a menu of all the different places you can get hold of the show. Um, and you can find all of my various comedy clips as well. I, I, I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm happy to stand 
if not shoulder to shoulder, then at least shoulder to calf with Tom on this because Instagram has been going absolutely mad. There's a clip of mine on there now with 10 million views. Uh, Views, schmooze, you might think, and you'd be right. Um, But uh, a million people have liked it. So at least that many people must have must have watched it, must have watched the film. I mean, it's only 25 seconds long or something. But that is acting as this unbelievable kind of follower magnet. I keep looking at it and thinking, well, it must be slowing down now. But I think I hit 50,000 follows on, what was that, Saturday? And that, and it's it's Monday now. And it's, it's so I record this and it's, it's on 55 and a half. Look, easy come, easy go. I can't imagine they're going to, to stay there for long, let alone buy uh, tickets to anything I do in the real world. But perhaps they'll buy a tea towel or join a mailing list or something. So you can follow me on Instagram and indeed TikTok at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy or join the mailing list to stay friends forever at ComediansComedian.com. Right. That's all the plugging I need to do for now. Thanks if you've been coming along to the previews. Um, I'll tell you more about them at the end. Um, let's get back to the Honourable Tom. It's so much fun to say. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So this is becoming a, a theory of mine, and I'm really hoping it doesn't... I'm hoping it sounds like a, a sort of, if, if not positive, then kind of a morally neutral observation, which is that obviously it's a very exciting time where, hey, there are no gatekeepers. And then I've I had this thought, and I don't know if it's original or if I read it somewhere, I think I came up with it, that the algorithm is itself a gatekeeper. I... Oh, so... I haven't... I didn't know the word algorithm... Until about three years ago. And now I think I use it more in in speech than the word mum. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> the algo is your so mother pathetic. now. It really is. Uh, we're slaves to the algorithm, aren't we? And everyone is obsessed with what, how do you get a video that, that hits the algorithm that rides the wave? Oh, if you do 15 yeah. second videos. Oh, but you need to have the, the clickbaity title at the start. Oh, if you do different camera edits quickly that keeps the attention if you stick rather than dwelling too long and use this sound to overlay it you don't do subtitles mate what do you mean you don't do subtitles you've got to do subtitles um i remember what i would say is one of the best things i did in lockdown when everyone was going what do i do um what's a hobby of mine bake banana bread do jigsaws i taught myself to edit and I think in the current climate as a performer, learning the skill of editing is sort of the equivalent of knowing the foreign language in the holiday destination that you're on. Like I, I think learning to edit is a language now of the future. And I think any up and coming performer, you have to do content and learning to self edit is just an absolute um, life hack. You've got to do it. 
when you say you have to do content, you mean you have to be like content as opposed to material. You have to be putting stuff out. Content in a wider could be material, could be oh, could I, be I, yes, pieces Co- to camera or whatever they're called. Yeah, but, I, I mean online content. And sadly, one of the, hor- the most horrendous things I think about content and the state of online comedy is um, sadly quantity overrules quality. And that's just a sad fact that we're living in. You are much, one of the biggest tricks to hacking into an algorithm and getting a following on something like TikTok is just get one joke and repeat it in a different way. Like, so basically, the classic you would don't be... Mean, you don't mean literally one joke, like one like piece premise, of material premise, type joke. I mean, one premise, 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 yeah, gotcha. premise. So yeah. like, posh guy acts out films. And I go, oh, hello, I'm doing Titanic today. The next one, hello, this is Braveheart. And then, okay, this is yeah. Forrest Gump. And just do that, do that, that, and you'll get a following. Just do that every single day. And, and that's, it's sad because it's sort of killing, you know, um, variety and nuance and people pushing boundaries and all this. It's, but, but, yeah. But, but but it's almost like although it although it does have all of those negative connotations, I feel those very strongly because there are billions of people using there are billions of people creating or at least mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands, you know, millions of people uh, creating content. Then it's almost is that it's <laughs> it's like um it's like keys. Keys used to work because you'd um, or passwords rather. You have a right. password. It was difficult to guess your password, so your password was safe. Mm-hmm. Presumably at some fictional point. I've not read a book about this. Um, but then uh, computers came along, which could brute force every conceivable password. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, let me just follow this analogy. I think I've got a good point here. So the whole way, so passwords have to develop and encryption has to develop. Yes. So even though the individual content creator is less creative than perhaps at some point I someone writing hours right. and hours of stand-up, there the, are many, 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 many more of them. So the crea- I wonder so if there is the, more variety, but just not. Well, I within wonder the indi- if there is. No, I exactly. Get, yeah, I think that is inevitable. Yeah, I can see that very much true. And also, I would point out. Because you get a lot of the idea of gatekeepers of comedy, the idea that there's always been a thing about the working class never being able to get through to the industry bubble because of, you know, um, mm. they aren't the right accent. They don't live in London. They haven't got enough money to take the risk of doing you know, that sort of thing. Whereas now the Internet has provided everyone with a chance because everyone with a phone in their hands has got a studio and they can do what they want. So it has become more accessible for anyone to now become a comedian or a entertainer of any way. So that is, that is how do you feel about that? How does that impact upon your expectations and dreams and what you want of your relationship with comedy? Um, well, I never want to lose live comedy because that's the reason I think we all love comedy. You know, I, I like being in the room and I like feeling that energy. I like doing shows which are an hour long and have, you know, a journey. Um, I try very hard not to follow or pay too much attention to what other people are doing online. I find if you keep on comparing yourself, you, it's sort of a it's, a it's a slippery slope of just going mad in your own head. Of going, oh, they've done that, but they've done that. Or they've got that thing. Just try and stick in your lane and figure out what you want to do. Um, because there are also, there are lots of content creators I know who have got you know, quarter of a million followers, but then they can't actually hold a room on stage. 
because obviously it's, yeah. it's very different being funny for 15 seconds online in a recorded video to then doing 20 minutes um, to yeah. a live audience. But a lot of them don't want to do that, and that's fine. But I, I, well, I was going to say a lot of them, a lot of them have never been bitten by that bug. Yeah. And a lot of them, even if you did say, "Hey, you could do this," they'd say, "I've got to drive how far? Yeah, oh I've yeah, got to travel how many days? How many nights right, have I got exactly. to be away?" Exactly. Um, whereas I, I don't know. I feel like I've just sort of. I mean, I've been a comedian for 16 years now. I feel like it's sort of just traveling and all that feels like home in a weird way. It's just sort of, it's beating into me. <laughs> I was going to say, traveling feels like home. I couldn't tell whether that was a positive thing or a harrowing thing. It's, and then you qualify it by saying it's been beaten into me, which suggests <laughs> excuse, oh yeah, it's domestic, excuse in one there's way. There's a lot of domestic abuse at my house. <laughs> um. Tell me about your origins then, pre-Noise Next Door. Tell me about your your young Tom. And you went Very to young week. Tom. You must spend a lot of time talking about boarding school because it does make you such an anomaly within the world of comedy, I think. To, yeah. like, you, it's so unusual. And I don't want to dredge through the stuff you've said on a hundred other podcasts. No, that's fine. I, I went to a school which had, I went to a private school. And uh, and as I always have to say, I got a scholarship. <laughs> right? I, got, I got a scholarship. We weren't super rich. I got a scholarship. <laughs> Um, but uh, there were borders there. I wasn't one of them. There were borders, and I mm-hmm. don't remember think. I mean, I don't remember much of my childhood, but I don't remember them being... I, I have this vague sense that they were a bit weird, and I uh, suppose now I've got a much clearer sense, now that I'm a dad, the concept of sending my child away, one of my children away, to a boarding school is yeah. just anathema to my... I don't know what. I don't know. How, what. I'm how, not insulting how, how old are your, your parents. Are your kids now? Um, my son turns seven very soon, so, uh, which is pa- will be painful for anyone who remembers me talking about getting right. pregnant for the first time. <laughs> he's a fan of the show. So, yeah, he's so, the Boutros is seven. So I, I went to full boarding at six years old. I, ca- I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to use the word child abuse, but I have. <laughs> but I cannot imagine what that does to a child and i can't imagine i mean listen i know your dad was presumably quite busy being the head of the british army but um Uh, and and i'm privileged to not be so busy sorry say again british military not just the military yeah the the entire thing please (laughs) i'm so sorry that 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 is the point though so because um going through the army to then get where you want to be we moved around all the time so we moved house every year or two so it was yeah. either go to boarding school or change school every year or two. So they picked. That... Or or dad does something different so he can have a relationship with his kid. Sure. And then Russia attacks. And where are we? Is <laughs> well, that what there you are want? other soldiers. <laughs> Wouldn't you be? In t- I mean, I'm talking. I'm talking speculatively. Your dad seems absolutely lovely from what no, I've seen of him on your TikTok. But yes. but did that not occur to you? Did that thought never? Or or we could not. You could not do either, and we could be. No, or is it just uh, oh, so so young? I, no, I grew up and uh, my dad's career was very much my family. Uh, my dad's career trajectory was always a that, that was non-negotiable, non-negotiable. But also, you're, I mean, I'm a child, so I wouldn't have ever gone. I wouldn't have uh, questioned my parents, especially at six years old. Um, Would you not have said, "Please don't send me to boarding school"? Well, or did did you do you remember any of those feelings? Oh yeah, so I I didn't really. You don't understand what boarding school means because you're six. So you're like, God, Tom, you I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm having quite a big emotional reaction to this. I'm well, sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you how brutal this is then. So I, I had been taken to an open day at the boarding school um, 
just to give a, a taster. And that been, uh, I've been dropped off in the day by my mum, seen all the people, all, all the kids who are, because there were some kids who were boarding since like four or five, whose parents lived in India and stuff. There's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a story I know of one boarder who, he got sent away at four and had to spend the entire year uh, at boarding school. And then he got shipped back to India and his parents picked him up and he didn't recognise his parents when he, when, when, he, when he arrived back home. Um, so I've been to the open day. Then my parents clipped me, clipped me at the end to take me home. So then when it comes to the actual first day of properly starting boarding, and you know that first day is coming because you can hear the sewing machine with all the, the labels in your in your clothes going. Okay. You've got given your locker number. Suddenly, um, I got taken there. My mum dropped me off and said goodbye. And the, the headmaster goes, we find it's best if you just leave. Otherwise, it gets emotional. So my mum did, and, I, and because she just left, because I'd been to the open day, in my head, I thought she's going to come and collect me at the end of the day. Oh. So at the end, my, the end of my first day, all the boarders went off to the boarding houses, and I went with the day kids to the front school gates and stood there, and gradually, one after the other, they all got taken away. And so I was just left there standing on my own. And it took like an hour or two for a teacher to then find me and going, what are you doing here? I'm waiting for my mum. No, she's not coming. And they had to bring me back in. And then, and then you have the, you know, that that was a pretty. What do you mean she's not coming? It's that that was pretty brutal. And then the first night, because you are in with a bunch of other sort of six-year-olds who are all missing their parents. You've all got the water waterproof sheets on your bed because obviously lots of kids at six like wet themselves on the first yeah. couple of nights. There's lots of crying. And I, I remember a very, very, um, very tangible, poignant feeling of suddenly the world felt big and cold. Yeah. And suddenly I, I, my, bed, my bed was by the window and I remember looking out and seeing the moon. I just I remember very much thinking the sky's huge and outside's big and it's all the Yeah, I, I felt very lonely, very alone and very small in a very big place because I because the first time I'd ever not been at home. And in a strange place with strange people. Yeah, it was. But then I think you realise pretty quickly that all kids at that age are quite, are not enjoying it. And then if you cry, you remind the other kids that they're also sad. So there's a big thing about don't cry because we all know what's going on. So don't let it be obvious. Just shut up and get on with it. So you, you learn to bottle it and then I, I was reading a book by Nigel Duffel called uh, The Making of Them because uh, that's what they say about boarding school it'll be the making of you and there's yeah. a syndrome called boarding school syndrome and the way it manifests inside a kid is uh, there's a contradiction in the kid's brain because you go I love my parents they're the best thing ever and they've told me this school is incredible and the best thing for me but I don't like the school but I know my parents are never wrong, so they can't be wrong. So I must be wrong. And that's how you manifest. You know, if I am not enjoying it, any of these negative emotions I'm feeling must mean there's something wrong with me. And then that 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 quite often breaks a lot of kids. And I'm not. I don't want to say that every person has a terrible time at boarding school, and that I had some really nice memories. But there are. It's it's a. It, I think there's a fundamentally quite damaging aspect to the whole thing, especially at six. And have you had that conversation with your folks? I did a whole show about it called Class Dismissed because I'm a comedian and what we do is put on a show. 
Um, I did. And look, my mum was devastated. She cried. Like when she drove away, she told me she used to drive down the school driveway and then round the corner outside, then park up and just burst into tears. Uh, But like I said, it was military. So I I understand why they did it. There are are lots of parents who send their kids to boarding school, though, or private school because they want, you know, Oh, I was actually talking to Shappy Corsandi, who yeah. uh, she said that she was like looking around a, pr- a private school. And one of the parents came up and went, she went, hello, um, my name's Sasha, SW1, and introduced herself with her postcode. <laughs> and so so sending the Lord. kids to the school is more of a bragging rights amongst the, the parents oh, than, than anything else. And those people do exist, but my parents did it for for legitimate reasons. So I, I understand. Yes, yes. Okay. I think I, I mean I suppose Jesus, Tom, I thought my I still regard my own schooling as brutal and dehumanizing. And I had to I got to go to home every day. Yeah. And bitch about it, you know. Yeah, um, I am um, well also so I was all boys I was all boys as well, which is obviously very damaging because yeah. Especially at senior school when you're then, you know, testosterone's flying around and um, there's a you can't you you can't really ever interact with women or girls so you don't ever see them as people really. What happens is, is that at, at every Saturday after the rugby match they stick you in a bus and they drive you two hours away to a neighbouring girls' school and stick you all in a sports hall for a social, essentially like a prize, right? You've done the sports match. Now, here's your prize. Go and look at these women. Oh, God. And then you get taken away. And that's your only interaction. So I, it's not surprising. Oh, so many of my friends are, are very um, horrendous when it came to talking with women or sort of seeing them as anything. My school also then, when I was 17, school of 600 boys, my year was the first year in its history to go co-ed. And they let, oh, yeah. they let 22 girls join in a okay. school of 600. Bloody hell. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's bring I, it back. I've to... said a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not at all. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. I've never had that conversation with you before, and mm. nor, has it, nor has that come up on the show. Um, I'm fascinated by it, but I also I'm wondering about the kind of the crucible of you and your desire to not follow your dad into the army, which pre- into the military, which yeah. was presumably on the table or on offer or expected or desired. Who it, knows? It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a thing that kids of army officers just follow their father's footsteps. I mean, I, I was performing Cats the Musical on the stairs at five years old. So I, they thought maybe not the front line for this one. Uh, well, maybe something with the, camouflage yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I always had a performer in me um, also that it when it got to my stage my dad was the head of the military is that he's completed the game there's there's I I'm already gonna have a sort of time getting out of his shadow anyway <laughs> Yeah, unless you can be king, that, yeah. that's it. That's like that's the only that's the only step exactly, up. Right? Exactly right. Well, it's one it's one of my jokes with um, my dad's the head of the military and I'm a clown in more than one way. Big shoes to fill. Yes, lovely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but also, so I think what also having a dad who's been because my dad was the son of a shopkeeper as well who got a scholarship into private school who then he's an amazing man. He is a yeah. one-off, and he's you know he's a, a 
a, a, serious, a mind of the times and he's incredible. I spent a lot of time sort of resenting that a bit and now I've just learned that uh, how lucky am I to have this guy as my dad and that's it's brilliant. And actually living in the Tower of London with him really uh, was really great at connecting again. We'll get back to that, I'm sure. Mm. But um, living up to him and trying to seek validation, all that sort of stuff, I did struggle with. I think the reason I became a comedian, one, boarding school sort of learn, learning to, being bullied at boarding school, I used jokes as a defence mechanism. Okay. Um, also, I think with moving... It's, a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a classic uh, it's comics classic. origin, but I but I think it's it's sort of particularly distant <laughs> yes. in, in your example. Exactly. But then the other thing... Where I did think, you get the idea? Do you, do you remember the beginnings of that? Do you remember a moment? Do you remember a kind of light switching on... Or had you read it? Because what you've described is such a kind of Roald Dahl story of a, a childhood. Up until yeah. that point, your mum driving away, you go yeah. to the gate to be picked up. Um, was there a moment or did you did you kind of hear from any stories or media of any sort that kind of like, oh, one of the things I can do to avoid getting bullied is to be funny? Or well, did you invent it for yourself? Well, well, I think in my prep school, I actually had a reasonably good, the, the bullying hadn't started in, in the sort of the, the younger up to 12. And I had a best friend of mine who weirdly he joined the army, um, and even though he used to get the main roles at school um, in the plays, him and me would be do lots of fun stuff as well. And that I enjoyed just being funny then, and I realised I was funny. Then at my senior school, when I got really severely bullied, uh, at re- like badly. And the thing about being yeah. bullied at a boarding school is you can't leave the school. It's Jesus. it's twenty four seven, and this isn't the time of FaceTime and iPhones. Like I had to have coin operated. 20p's to ring your parents and then they ring you back um bad board you know, like physically you know outstretched coat hangers being whipped and stuff and all this sort of thing it, like yeah. bad and i remember chatting with my this mate who then had joined me at senior school walking to school and i me going everyone hates me and i i, I don't know what i can do i don't know what i can do and he went you're really funny be, be funny and i that that really sticks to me in my mind and I started being funny and it got better. And so I, I, I've used that as my main tactic since. And it's taken me a long time to be, learn to be sincere again, if I'm being honest. And girlfriends have commented on it. Um, I've had lots of problems in, with that and relationships. The other thing I would say about a military background and my parents, because I moved house every one or two years, that basically means at home you have to drop your friends and start again. Stop, start again. Yeah, which yeah, is essentially yeah. next gig, next gig, next gig, walking in mm. and making friends quickly before you have to drop them again. So I think that, uh, that sort of skill of walking into a room and quickly being approachable and getting people to like you is, is another thing that mm-hmm. led to... It, it was all going that way. Yes, great skill set. Uh healthy question mark <laughs> i mean it, it Almost, does definitely seem not. like <laughs> as we know from the comics we know as i know from all of these all these interviews um the like the idea of perpetually being the person that kind of parachutes in and uh and makes everyone like them and mm-hmm. then disappears and kind of carried out shoulder high and then you're on your own again yes that is enormously uh, enjoyable and also uh, helps one not to solve any of one's problems because it's yes. sort of it's it's like a quick fix night after night after night after night it is, and yeah. it also it doesn't 
make you any fi- like oh, like some other quick fixes we could think of it unlike some of the quick fixes we could think of it doesn't make you ill uh, or poor in fact the opposite you can get rewarded in every sense imaginable yeah. for that kind of quick fix i i'm interested particularly in what you said about having to relearn sincerity or having to learn sincerity because presumably if you like this, so this is this is the, the the paradigm through which I'd see it is I remember at school uh, like really absolutely hated it. There's a there's a photo of me in it and it's overexposed because I'm standing in front of a window inside a house and I'm wearing my school uniform and I look miserable and I'm in near darkness against the outside world yeah. and I just think of like oh god that was my school days. But when I was 11, I started going to a drama club at the weekends and there were girls there and people laughed at me and it was fun and. I've had to unpick and unpack a lot of that stuff to realise 20 and 30 years later, oh, it does something to me when I make people laugh. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel whole. It it transforms the scared little boy in the picture into a kind of superhero. He gets a Shazam moment of going, oh, I've accessed the thing. Bang, now I'm the superhero, right? And and, and recognising, God, how much has that informed so many of my decisions? Mm -hmm. How much does it continue to inform decisions I make or don't make as Mm -hmm. I become an increasingly old man yeah and i'm still kind of that thing is still going on so talk to me about that i mean that is like a the the that is the opposite it seems to me like you've had that experience with the contrast turned all the way up you will be physically beaten with wire coat hangers unless you can get to the gag in time yeah like how does that that saved you and then it must wreck you must it not well yeah because then like you I think I've found as I've gotten into the, the wider world and met more of a variety of people. And I certainly think one of the problems I think comedians quite often fall into is that their their work colleagues are also their only mates. And then you just talk shop forever. And then you suddenly get this feeling that, no, the most important thing in life is being funny. And actually, the majority of people love humor and humor is the you know it's the lubrication that bonds us socially and it's what we all all want but there are so many people um out there who also they want to have a serious conversation they want to i mean this podcast is a good example of talking seriously about stuff and actually being open rather than this isn't just a you and me firing zingers at each other we're actually having a conversation and that's what that's what the real value comes in. It's interesting. On the circle, I had a moment, episode eight, there's a savage questions round. And um, the, my question was, is there any more depth to you or are you just jokes? Well, yeah. And I then opened up about it and said, and said my school story. And, you know, I, 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 was teary-eyed doing it and it was a you know it was a vulnerable moment that I did um and then in the ratings I was top influencer bang straight away <laughs> which part of me it looks very calculated but, but well I was I was thinking you moron episode eight but then the editor's done with you now you don't <laughs> yeah. need to stay in the show anymore yeah. yeah and then I get blocked the next episode no yeah of course. <laughs> um, but my point is is I think that um you know People appreciate um, hearing uh, sincerity, seriousness, vulnerability, depth. And uh, I, I think, you know, you, you ever had that insult, which 
Well, you're always on, aren't you? You're oh. always on. Which there are lots of comments. He's like, they're always on, aren't they? And you go, you get in a car share with them, and you're like, fucking hell. <laughs> Can you be off for a bit? <laughs> Can you just be <laughs> yeah. off? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, um, yeah, no, I, and I think, um, yeah, it took me a while to learn, and it took me a lot of girlfriends going, why can't you just talk to me seriously before I, I got it? But I've now I've now learned to, yeah. And and in your stand-up, I very much enjoyed The Honourable, which is your most recent uh, special, you. which is currently available for free on YouTube. Thank you very and much. And it follows a really lovely... I mean, there's a great story element. There's loads of really... And that's one of the... One of the aspects of your work is you can talk about a thing that literally no one else has experienced. Like um, your life is so unusual that you get you get afforded a lot yeah. of uh, people are just like I'm just quite happy to listen to this. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, like, what, what I mean is what a lovely I'm not suggesting you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that you milk that. What I mean is there are certain acts I can see whose voice or um, background or story is such that their baseline, even in the pauses, even in the gaps between the jokes, is like, oh, this is fascinating. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't think you rely on that. I don't think at all. No, but, but I think, I think it, it's, it's it's easy to watch because you go, even when I'm not laughing, I'm considering a thing I've genuinely never thought about before. Yeah, well, I'm not relying on it, but I definitely did realise it. And I think there are there are acts there who don't. Like, I, have you ever been chatting to an act? And they went, oh, yeah, because obviously I grew up in a cult. And you're like, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> They went, yeah, yeah. Like, have you never talked about that? Like, no. You're a fucking moron yeah. then. Like, like, obviously <laughs> talk about that. That's amazing. Like, you've got it. Like, your USP is so, is so. Uh, we're in the age of identity and who am I and what I. You need to. If you've got a USP, like, do dwell on that. Like, otherwise. When did you when did you start doing that? Because I didn't know this about your background when we I mean, when it, when we the, like the first time we met the first few times we worked together, it was with the noise next door. You're one of five yeah. people. There's a lot going on. No, but so no, I didn't. No, but no, no did you knew. keep it quiet then? No, yeah. no one knew. And so why did you keep it secret? I mean, I think I can hazard a guess, but why did you keep it yourself? Private, let's say, rather than secret. Um. I'm not sure. I think maybe I didn't have the... Well, my dad hadn't fully got to the top of the military yet and we hadn't lived, moved to the Tower of London yet. So there wasn't those... But the, the moving of the Tower of London happened the same year that I left the noise. And that, yeah, okay. that, that wasn't a calculated thing. That just happened to happen like that. Okay. And then... So, so it wasn't... I mean, I still had... My life was still... My background was still very interesting, but not... It then became very interesting as soon yes, as I left okay. the night. So, sure. so, may, so maybe it might not even, it just didn't cross my mind, I guess. I think also... Yes, it's one of those wood for the trees things. Go on, sorry. Yeah, I also. also think my dad was very, was always very, very cautious about when he was still on his way to the top of the military of the family name and anything getting back on us like I got arrested for drink driving when I was 18 and it made the newspaper because it was you know the um the son of top army officer drink driving yeah. shame and yeah it's the like the like the, the the worst I've ever felt in my entire life and yeah uh I remember like my telling my parents that my dad went upstairs and my mum came down and went and if you want to know how much you've hurt this family, just go upstairs and listen to your father crying. And we're like, oh, oh, 
yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, to be fair, yeah. drink driving, that's yeah. not awful. an unreasonable Oh, no, and it's yeah. absolutely inexcusably and awful. And then he came down, and my dad, I remember, he like he had tears in eyes, and he hugged me, and he went, please, please don't turn into this boy you're turning into. Like, not angry, it's like a pleading. And this from like an army officer, who's the head of the military doing this, and that really broke me. And a lot of it was also because he's just, he's, him and my mum had worked so hard to be exemplary and to try and get to this thing. And then I was drinking and driving. Mean, it was just so pathetically bad. So I think then I was then sort of hit with this. I don't want to ever bring shame on my family. So I hid a lot of it, I think. And then. Yeah. If, if no one ever finds out about the shame, <laughs> <laughs> then I'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but then, uh, I think because when I left the noise, my dad had moved to the Tower of London and I was moving up, I was living in Brighton, but I was moving up to London and I had the choice of either, you know, renting a shoebox in zone seven for a million pounds sure. or living with my dad in the great historical palace. And it was like, I'm, sure. I'm definitely doing that. And then when you look, I couldn't live in the Tower of London and not mention it. I was doing my, yes. I also, cause I, I left the noise and I had eight months to put my first Edinburgh Fringe show together. And I hadn't mm. got any material. I just mm. had stagecraft, but I'd never, cause I, I think you said before at the start, I knew loads of people. So I wasn't looked at as a new act, but I actually pretty much was. Yes. But then also you, it's not like you'd been in a band. You were an no, improv guy. I, I, you'd I, been making people laugh for a living for a long time. And also I had done the, uh, I got a two, two at Kent university in the master's degree in stand up, which did you really? I did. Yes. With, um, Pappies and uh, Jimmy McGee and Laura Lex. Oh my God! They're all Illuminati. Oh, yes, but not that year. I because mean, I know Jimmy and and Matt Crosby were the same. Yes, Jimmy's uh, older than me. Jimmy, um, Jimmy always calls me. I'm like he's like my big brother. He always calls me the iPhone to his Nokia three thirty two ten. He does, I'm the I'm the upgrade of Jimmy. Is what he Jimmy's words, not mine. Um, yeah, gotcha. Because okay. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy. Ate, amazing comedian and i looked up to him a lot you know dad was in the military boarding school from yeah. six went to kent university yeah. became a comedian like very like the same yeah gotcha and okay. look so at me and, had... look at me and jimmy we're, 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 we're cut from the same cloth <laughs> i think that's fair yeah. with all due respect <laughs> yeah. to you both yeah. <laughs> um so eight months to write that new well let's just go back a bit so noise next door that formed how Oh, what was your, how so did your, I how then, did you connect I then um, went to University of Kent and I did a drama degree because um, I wanted to be an actor. Um, just because I didn't realise stand-up comedy was an option or a thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then as I was doing um, more and more plays and performances, I realised that every single role I was auditioning and going for was the comedy role and they were the roles that I liked. And I then realised, hang on, it's not acting you like. You like making people laugh. That's what you always do. Um, mm. And then and then it was Oliver Double, Dr. Oliver Double, who's written a few books. I'm sure, mm -hmm. I'm sure you, he must have come mm -hmm. up on this podcast at some point. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. He was doing the master's degree in stand-up and so I went, I'm going to do that. And then while doing that degree, me and the four of the Noise Next Door boys formed the Noise Next Door uh, and we'd start it it was from, first, from the ma well no it actually started in our second year of uni called it was called whose line and then i yep. think by the end it was called P 
play it by ear. Yeah. And then there was about 12 of us in play it by ear. And <laughs> I haven't said that in ages. Um, and <laughs> um, then the five of us basically had a secret meeting and went, look, us five have got something here. We should really go for this. And then we mm-hmm. squirreled ourselves away in, in my house and did a brainstorming session for, no, for, for, for names of the band. Things mm-hmm. like uh, Tusk. Uh, <laughs> uh, Absolutely plausible. Yeah, Gag Reflex, but that was thought of as too sexual. Um, yeah. Tiny Little Improv <laughs> Turtle was genuinely on the cards at one point. <laughs> you horrific people. <laughs> and then the story that we peddled was that we were up so night getting so angry about the name that we were shouting so much that the neighbours just went, can you quiet down? There's this constant noise next door. And we went, oh, that's it. But <gasps> PR that, fluff, don't yeah, leave a word of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, I think, it, well, I won't say who it was because, uh, but because uh, one of us said, the noise next door is quite a good name, isn't it? And then when we all went, yeah, that is a good name. Okay, we'll do that. And then so we started. And we moved into a one house with us and one of our girlfriends, who was our producer. Um, wow. For our first Edinburgh. And we lived in Shoreham by Sea by the Rope Tackle Theatre, which I'm sure you played at before as well. We started, oh, a residence, uh, started a residency in Brighton, in Hover. Yeah. Um, and because two, two of the guys went to Brighton College, so they had some contacts there. We went straight up to Edinburgh from uni. Uh, C venues, which was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Did that for two years. Then in our second year of doing that, we were then picked up by Ian Franklin, who runs oh, the yes. comedy club. Uh, yes. And Rudy Liquid had come into C venues and were watching a, uh, a showcase. And it was Rudy Liquid who went, these guys are great. You should sign them, Ian. Hey, there we go. Yeah. Uh, and so thank you, Rudy. And um, so we did. And then we were with uh, Ian Franklin for a bit. And then that got to its natural um, as far as it did um, Christian Knowles came and knocking with CKP uh-huh. then uh, we did that and then that was when after 10 years I then went I look guys I I want to go and do it on my own okay yeah can this you tough yes is it amicable enough with them now that you can talk to me about it being tough? Or uh, is it better for us not to... No, 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 that's, that? no, that's fine. Uh, it's amicable apart from or one of one of us uh, okay. who uh, is now doing his thing on his own. And I don't think, I don't think anyone uh, talks to him. Uh, he, he was a difficult character in the end. But the other ones, uh, absolutely lovely. Uh, I've, I've done, I still gig with them occasionally. I've got, I, oh that's good yeah, 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 <laughs> do, they ever, do they ever let you back in for like a turn they, up and do a cameo sort of thing that's so right. I've had a few times I've gone right Tom we've got this corporate but only two of us can make it can you come and do it we'll give you yeah we'll give you your whatever the money I was like it's on a Monday yeah. yes I can <laughs> and yes, then I'm, I'm there lovely. brushing off dad brushing off the skateboard <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying to do a, trying to do an ollie um and then I've also they don't they still do the comment the, the noise stores lock in which I think you've been a guest mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. sure uh, I'm a, I'm quite often a get, I've been a guest on that a few times as well and um, it's interesting so I left and then another one left then another one left so the one after me went back in and then okay. they got a new one as well it, it became very sugar babes by the end just a rotating cast yes. of different people um, but no I love the boys and they're still going very strong and um, and 
the thing about the noise next door and going into comedy so what i learned from is it tony allen who does the alternative comedy he wrote a book called attitude yeah, attitude. attitude yeah and, i want to make something of it yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's it, it. That's um, right great and basically the, the idea that you come up being for it's either it's, it's writing and discipline and a performance mm. and most people are either are a performer naturally mm. who needs to learn to write or yes. a writer naturally who needs to learn to perform the noise yeah. next door meant i was a performer who needed to learn to write i would argue that's the easier way around but because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. i think lots of my jo- early jokes were i just do big big gestures and you mm-hmm. know lots of like before i was the posh comedian i was very like people think i'm gay but i'm actually not how weird's that and it was all <laughs> uh, which is just an excuse for me to be camp around the stage because that's an yes, easy laugh fair so uh, that's sure. an easy laugh um so i had to then learn to write and um tom stayed was the guy who then said to me he went, you know you know tom because everyone's got a tom stayed impression haven't they <laughs> But he challenged me. He said, if you want to know if a joke works, do your whole set. Don't take the microphone out the stand. And so I tried then to just do that and just do the my routines just with the mic in the stand uh, just to see if that would work. Uh, if, if, the, if the material stood up on its own, then the... No, no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Absolutely awful. My Cats the Musical routine got binned pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> then the other big leap in my development as far as writing is actually, because I, I, was, I was tour support for Milton Jones for three years. Yes, um, yes. We ended up doing over 200 gigs together. Um, and because it's his show, he works clean. So mm. he said, you've got to do a clean 25. So I had to rewrite all my stuff taking out all the swearing and when you do that you actually realize how often you do just use f-bombs and c-bombs as punchlines and you then also because you have to think of different punchlines and endings you you come up with much more interesting stuff to say and that your the flavors of your your sets become just much more uh, much deeper so um i also credit milton with also pushing me another level in writing as well yes that and he um james acaster used to be milton's tour support for a long time so james acaster i think it was very and nish kumar yes in fact he said yeah milton very much said look it's sort of the golden goose this if you if you're my tour support (laughs) if you don't make something of it it's your fault like because look Lovely, lovely Milton. <laughs> and brilliant. What a pedigree. Like to, to kind of to almost kind of study under Milton. And like you go out and do as well as you do. And then he goes out and is Milton Jones. Yeah. Most sort of English degree people, when they say you studied Milton, it's different. But I really, <laughs> I, I really did study Milton. Um, but because no, um, also, actually, I think what was very good as well with that is I think after the Noisic store, because I'd had a, I, I felt very trapped in the Noisic store. They had lot because it was a five people and we had some quite strict rules and we had to share hotel rooms. We were all traveling. They had girlfriends I didn't, so I felt very enclosed. Uh, sort of like, sort of I couldn't be my full self with my family as well because I couldn't speak. Had you created another boarding school for yourself, Tom? I had. Uh, <laughs> oh, mate. Exactly that. And so when I left. I live in a house with a bunch of men and don't have a girlfriend <laughs> and there are strict rules. Oh, Tom. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, when I then left them, it was the first time I remember, like that I felt properly like, oh my god, I'm free. 
like um and i realized that i had been boarding school all my life i had been army barracks all my life i had been in the noise next door my whole life and then now suddenly tom you're an individual and i started having panic attacks i started freaking out like i really went from a bad uh who the hell am i um started doing a lot of drugs a lot of alcohol you were institutionalized yeah yeah yeah. and so basically i I, I went off the rails and yeah i i would i'd be rocking up to gigs early on just sweating because i've been up doing no good no god knows what into the into the early hours um then i still managed to do reasonably well because i had contacts already and i think i had a reasonably good natural ability as far as just stage persona um but it was then being on the milton tour where the man likes to have a beer and a whiskey in a hotel room but it's then discipline and being on the road with a mm-hmm. you know not a father figure but a mentor absolutely mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a it's a teacher and so he also then made me realize that if i actually wanted to go to the next level you can't be treating yourself like that you've got to have discipline and so i i also am very much credit him for that so i'm very grateful for him for that as well was it painful to learn that lesson because you had been in disciplined situations all your life and suddenly were free? Like, what were the upshots of the the upside of freedom? Presumably, I would sort of imagine, I suppose I was very surprised when you said, oh, I had panic attacks because I couldn't cope with it. Because it sounds like when you say freedom, that sounds like such a positive sort of a thing. Was it? Oh, but no, it, no it's, to... yeah, it's sort of like... Um... You know, the end of Shawshank Redemption, where the old man gets free and then he hangs himself because he just doesn't know what to do with himself. Like, you know, freedom isn't always, you know, people go back to toxic relationships because they, it's the familiarity of it all. I, um, for example, just even if I was hungover at a Noise Next Door gig, I could rock up and four other people on the stage would see me through it or someone else would drive the car. But I remember, like, I certainly remember one time driving to a gig in the middle of nowhere and then waking up steamingly hungover, then realizing I had another gig to go to and I had to drive and all the drink driving stuff came back to me. And I went, I've stuck myself in this position because I wasn't disciplined enough just not to have a drink. Um, And then when I eventually did get to the gig, I was sweating on stage, but I was the only one on stage and the spotlight was on me and I was stuttering the words and stuff. And there wasn't catchy song to sing. Hooray. It was just like, no, we're all looking at you now. And then realizing, no, everything is now your responsibility. It's all on you now. And that that was terrifying. When you said earlier on that one of the things you had to do post comedy as a reaction to bullying was that you had to learn to become sincere. The noise next door are fantastic and fun. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of room for sen- sincerity There's because not. it's an improv show. Zero, absolutely yeah. zero. Or individuality, really, to an extent. You're, we were coloured ties. You were Mr. Purple. You're Mr. Green. You're Mr. White. Yes. So, I, I still struggle with a lot of those guys' names. <laughs> you, so do I, to be honest. But, but no, no more so than any other four-person no, plus group. It's a lot. You know. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. There wasn't room for individuality. But, it, but just coming back to this idea of sincerity, you had experience of laughing your way out of being bullied like you know comedying your way out of being bullied and you had experience of making a living doing you know really fun people on their feet standing ovation shows corporate gigs and what have you with the noise next door which is all out out big big think quickly say Mm -hmm. the first thing 
And so do did you find that in your stand up, in your solo stand up, when there is nowhere to hide and also far more room in which to play? Mm-hmm. Did you find or do you find that it is a sort of a continuing journey to remember to be sincere and to hold yourself back from all the tricks that you know inside out? I think it's um, I think it I think it's a very big leap in your progression on stage to understand the power of sincerity and uh, and the power of silence is a huge thing um i think when you start out comedy you're chasing the laugh and you're chasing the gag but if a gag doesn't land it's sometimes the more powerful thing to rather than go oh did you not like that one oh okay to be able to just pause and hold a room in silence which is sort of married to sincerity in a way you know but, but not having to be the dancing clown and understand that and there's, a, there's a power to that i think um so I, I certainly yeah when i when i realized that um the best way to be funny is to not try and be constantly desperately funny all the time to ride it out because then you get those then you get the deep soulful laughs and the bigger punch lines and the, and the, the, the more insightful takes. I think, um, humor can be a lot of things. I think it can be escapism. It can just, it can just be jokes, but a lot of, a lot of what hum- comedy actually is at its most powerful is revealing truth. And even just revealing a truth is funny in itself. And that's, you know, you can do that in a sincere way. And that's funny. Um, so yeah, I, I think I learned that rather than trying to think of that's a funny gag or a bit of wordplay, trying to actually hold a mirror up onto yourself and find something real, I think is important. Are you happy, Tom? I'm content. And I like content. I think it's better than having happiness is fleeting. Contentment uh, suggests a longevity and an understanding that life goes up and down. And I feel I am now at a situation where I, I feel secure in myself, in, in, in where I, where I am. I've, I've overcome a lot since the noise and since childhood. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very content. And have you forgiven your parents for boarding school? Never. <laughs> no. So that was Tom Horton. Thank you so much to Tom for coming on the show. A joy to finally get him on. He's so much fun to watch. He really, really lights up a room and uh, and on stage and off stage as well. A very, very pleasant uh, presence off stage and uh, an all round good egg. And God, it sounds like I mean, I, I some of that boarding school stuff gave me flashbacks to a life I didn't lead. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? just harrowing and I'm I'm very glad that he's now chosen to make the comedy industry his boarding school or something or whatever cod psychology I attempted at the time I seem to remember one of them felt like a coup and there's another one of them on the insiders club uh, extra material um at which point I think he said how long have you had that stored up and I felt bad but no, so <laughs> loads more loads more stuff to find on the feed comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to know about that oh it feels good to be back in the saddle doing these and um, I'll do the thank yous and then I'll explain what we're doing um 
So uh, thank you once again. You can follow, uh, you go to honourabletom.com, honourable with a U, of course, um, and you can find a link there to his tour. He's all over the place. Extra dates are being added as we speak. In fact, I left it up in front of me where he's sold out Reading, Maidenhead, Bromley, Guildford. Why am I telling you the sold out places? He's added dates, extra dates in London. He's doing Leicester Square Theatre. a good lad. Southampton, Hemel, Chorley, Hexham, Salford, Reading, Maidstone, Crawley. Um, Darleydale, Misham, Droitwich. No, I've added those three from the old DFS uh, sofa advert. Uh, but Maidenhead, Colchester, Guildford and Bath. Those are just the ones that have been added in uh, June. He's still cracking on throughout March and April. So loads of Tom to get there. Um, so that's that. Thank you, Tom. Thank you to Moz for logging. Um, thank you to uh, producer Nathan for sorting out almost everything else. The music was by Rob Smouten and I am and remain Stuart Goldsmith. I'm going to amble at you. I'll post amble at you uh, after this noise made by a horse. Cheerio. nice to be back isn't it it's nice i've got so much to post amble at you at but let's find out i've got seven minutes till my tea's ready so um let's try and do it in seven. First things first previews have been going great guns i'm spinning plates man oh my god i've got like what are the projects there's project x it's a book um that is coming along nicely thank you once again to fabulous uh, susie who is helping me with uh, some of the administrative the administrative hellscape required um, when trying to uh, to catch bits of insights from 420 odd episodes. Um, so that's working well. We've we've got a good system and we're cracking on. So Project X is going well. Still not officially released, but there it is. Um, officially, you know, uh, uh, sanctioned to talk about in public. There it is. Um, and also the eco show, the, the 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 show. It's I mean, it's listen. What I've been telling people is the Edinburgh Fringe show this year. It's called Spoilers. That's for definite. Um, I don't think I, I, I don't know if I'm contracted yet, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be a monkey barrel in the mid-afternoon. Um, and uh, I can't wait for that. It's I've been saying to people it's kind of earnest heart on my sleeve climate crisis stuff. But I realised it's not climate crisis stuff. It's climate anxiety stuff and more specifically climate resilience stuff. I'm talking about the well in my mind that I fall down whenever I remember that the climate crisis exists. And maybe you do as well. And so the the bones of the show at this stage in development are about um, kind of isolating, recognising and making fun of all of the things that kick me down the well. Um, And perhaps they do that to you as well. And then coming up with ways to climb back out of the well. So um, I think it's going to be as optimistic. I mean, I'm doing actual research. I spoke to a guy today in the States, um, a guy, uh, uh, I won't give you any information about him because I haven't checked if I can, but he is a director of sustainability at a massive organisation and he's kind of chipper. It's qualified, qualified upbeatness um, and the ways in which it are qualified are themselves, now I think of it, quite sort of depressing. But the point is, um, I'm tackling it and I'm really enjoying tackling it and it's I don't think anyone is coming out in tears um I think I've got this weird should I go into detail on this no um in brief one of the challenges is I don't want people who come and see my climate comedy show which is vaguely educational but 99% funny and it's important to me that the vaguely educational bits are also funny so let's say it's 100% funny but um it's important to me that uh, people aren't frightened, but I don't want people to be frightened because they're complacent and they haven't done the reading and they don't realise what dire straits we're in. 
So what it means is that at the moment, at least, in order to make people feel happy and positive, I first need to tell some portions of the audience just how bad things are so that then I can try and make them feel inspired and active and hopeful. And part of me is wondering whether I shouldn't just leave people be to eke out the rest of their days in... What's the word? In... Pig ignorance is not pig ignorance. <laughs> what I mean is, if you don't realise how bad it is, why? To, and this is a wider question than my show. If you don't realise how much trouble we're in, is it a good idea to tell people how much trouble they're in and, and we're all in and burst their bubble in order that they try and activate a bit? Yes, I think it is a good idea. And I think I'm going to have to keep doing that. This wasn't supposed to be the postamble at all. I was going to tell you all about ADHD. <laughs> uh, so many lovely little ironies along the way. My favourite thing that happened in my obviously positive ADHD diagnosis um, was that at one point I was talking about how Rory Bremner describes ADHD as a superpower and how that's fair enough and positive and all the rest of it. But also I do take issue with that slightly in that. No, I, I don't take issue with it. It's just that sometimes it doesn't feel it, it even talking about it like it like it's this thing I've taken. I mean, I'm, you know, there we go. I've got a doctor's note and everything. It's I've got it. But also, it's me. I've got me. It's just, oh, Shappy, bless. I bumped into Shaparak Corsandi and she said, we agreed that some of, there's a certain ickiness to the kind of welcome to the community stuff that people do in a very well-meant way. She said, it's just like being left-handed. <laughs> it is. It's just like being left-handed. So to, to talk about it like it's this big thing feels inherently weird. I'm not used to that yet. But I talked about the Rory Bremner superhero thing and about how I don't necessarily feel like it's a superpower. In fact, it would be nicer not to be. I mean, you know, I'm curious about taking medication for it just to see what I would be like were I not so easily distracted. But don't worry, if I've got a post-amble recording coming up, I'll swerve the meds. Anyway, during the assessment, I was talking about that. And um, uh, when I said Rory Bremner, a cat walked in the window of my doctor's Zoom meeting uh, walked in through the window behind her and I said oh oh, there's your cat and then I was like oh my god is this part of the test have you primed your cat that if anyone mentions as soon as someone mentions Rory Bremner the cat sneaks in and you clock exactly <laughs> how fast I get distracted I mean honestly it's one of those things where but all like it, it has this weird kind of I'll talk more about this another time it has this weird resonance whereby oh I'm on a minute left till tea time Wrapping up, it has this weird resonance whereby it's kind of rippling throughout the rest of my life where things I've taken for granted, behaviours of mine that I've taken for granted, I'm now suddenly looking at through the prism of, oh, I've got a particular shaped brain. I mean, what, 5% of people have got it? So there's 20 brain sh I mean, it's not about shape, but I'm, it's, a, it's an analogy, right? Shut up, it's an analogy. Um, if, if sort of one in, there are 20 shapes of brain, say, and one in 20, one of the brain shapes is this one. It, that If that's all it is, it's just rippling throughout like, oh, God, suddenly I'm looking at years worth of postambles and going, oh, the, is the way I talk to you when I'm on my own and I'm chatting that I hope you find? I mean, God, I've got no data on whether or not this has made people leave in droves. I've got a small amount of data on some people that like this and get in touch with me. But how much of this is... ADHD related. Arguably, it doesn't matter. It's just what I do. But that's, that's the first time I've thought about it. If I start using the using the medication, pingers they are. It's not like it's not like SSRIs. It's not like you know whatever those those kind of like uh, endorphin or moods. I don't even know the language. Um, it's not like those whereby you need to build up to a thing and then if you go cold turkey, that's dangerous. They're just like 
as I understand it, they just like take one a day and get more shit done and beat yourself up less. If I do that, is that going to affect the way these happen? Is there going to be some weird fry on Futurama 300th coffee hummingbird moment? You get that reference or you don't. Where a week or two or three from now, I do a postamble and it's ordered and insightful and doesn't ping like a fucking pinball machine. And and you just hear in the background a sort of a thin hum, like a whine, like, because I've achieved exactly the right amount of medication. And do you want that? And do I want that? And that's tea time. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to go and have my tea. Is it a personality or is it just a load of coping strategies roped together? Bye for now. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was, like, wilderness a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.